Good morning. We are grateful for your presence this morning. It's wonderful to be together. We are thankful to have an opportunity to assemble here. Uh, we had a little one in the middle of the night. It woke up coughing some, and so uh, when we left this morning, he was still in bed, but his mother was very sad about missing out today and the chance, uh, the opportunity to not be able to be here with all of you and all of us together. And so we're certainly thankful for the chance that brings us here, for the opportunity to worship God. Uh, I'm feeling very thankful this morning. Uh, thankful to all those who led in the service, to Don for picking out the songs that he has to help us think about our Savior, uh, for all those who led in the various ways. I'm also very thankful for, uh, as Jerry said, for those who were here yesterday that helped make it where we could assemble this morning. Uh, we found out just this morning about one congregation down in Alabama who had pipes freeze and burst, and so uh, they were having to adjust their services, but there was a chance that uh, in the end we would not have an opportunity to be together here uh, if it weren't for their work yesterday, so just very thankful for the chance to be here. Let me go ahead and invite you one more time to stay with us all day if you can. We know that many of you have uh, family things that you may have to get to, uh, maybe for lunch or things like that, but we will have a breakfast meal here in a few moments, pancakes and things uh, for lunch, and then this afternoon we're going to come back at 1.30, and if you leave for lunch, and, and that's fine, I want to come back for service, uh, we're going to have, if you have a bulletin in front of you and you've seen the titles of the lesson, uh, we're going to have what we're calling the gospel story in scripture and in song. We're going to do a lot of singing, uh, we're going to do a lot of scripture reading, and then at the end we'll have just a few uh, short thoughts to kind of encourage us. Uh, with the invitation as we do, uh, but we'd love for you to be a part of that this afternoon. I do want to make mention here as well that next Sunday, uh, next Sunday we hope that you plan to be here. It'll be our regular Sunday as well uh, with services and class and lunch. Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have our yearly recap of uh, things over the past year. It's something that I started doing, I guess the first year that I was here maybe in the uh, winter there of 2018 at the end of the year, uh, but a lot of folks like it. I try to grab pictures from the year, things that we've done, uh, talk about some numbers, maybe the baptisms we had, or uh, even the sadness of those who have passed away from this congregation, but it's usually kind of fun, you might say, to kind of recap the year and think about what all we've done, so that'll be next Sunday afternoon, and we hope that you can be a part of that. <clears throat> you know, today is a great day, not just because it is a, a national holiday that celebrates family and giving, and it is the one day I think that our world pretty much stops as much as is possible. We have other holidays during the year, but many of you have to work on those holidays. If it's a Monday holiday or something like that, maybe you don't get off work. But, but this is the one holiday that usually our world and our country stops as much as possible. Today is a great day. Today is also a perfectly normal day. Because like the other 51 days of this year, of this particular day that have come before this day, we assemble. We assemble here as saints, as family, as part of the family of God to celebrate and to honor Jehovah God, the creator of all things on his day, the first day of the week. There's no overlooking that this is a holiday. It is a time of year when many people are thinking about Jesus. We, as people who strive to serve him, we, as people who strive to be followers of Christ, we are thankful that people are thinking about Jesus. But the question to begin this morning is, what are they thinking? Are they thinking correctly? Is there a chance that many people who are, they're just good people, are thinking incorrectly about Jesus? And as always, our desire is to be biblical, is that your desire? I hope it is. It's the desire of the congregation here. It's something that we strive for 
as the body of Christ here at Saudi. But could it be that we should think more about more than just a babe in a manger? Could it be that the Christmas story is filled with tradition, but on the other hand, we should think of our lives as being filled not with just tradition, but with Scripture? You know, one problem that we often have, and something I'd like for you to keep in your mind as we go through the lesson, and we're going to come back to it here in just a few moments, but one problem that we often have is that we read first century, we read first century scripture with 21st century glasses on, so to speak. We read first century things with 21st century lenses on, and I'm going to show you an example of that in just a moment. I'm indebted to my good friend, and many of you know the Farr family, but I'm indebted to David Farr. We talked earlier this week, as we often do, about our work and our lessons and things that we go through, and and we shared ideas about what we were preaching, and it's kind of neat that right now in Orlando, Florida, where they've moved and just started working, but in Orlando, Florida, at the Concord Street Church of Christ, they're hearing this pretty much the exact same lesson as we talked about ideas and we started looking at things that we could do and and how we could share some thoughts together so I'm indebted to him and they're hearing something very similar this morning but I'd like for us to consider some things to begin that some people might call myths now I did this a few years ago about many that you know, about many of the myths. I had a, a questionnaire or some things that come up that, that you might consider, some things that are myths about what we commonly think of when it comes to this time of Christmas. Some of those you may know already, kind of like the idea that we don't know the exact date, right? We have picked out, many people have picked out on the calendar, December the 25th, but we don't know the exact date when Jesus was born. Possibly it's not even close to December 25th. We also assume many people do the number of wise men, right? Because of the three gifts. And so you see lots of things that show three wise men. But we aren't really sure. And of course, a favorite of many is that the Bible speaks nothing of a little drummer boy, right? And while that makes for an earworm of a song, I hope you don't start singing it in your head the rest of the day, but while that makes for a song that gets stuck in your head and that people often just kind of point out or make fun of, that's something that we are not told that actually happened. But let's examine a couple of more this morning. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple of different passages from Luke. But Luke chapter 2, of course, is a story that many turn to and read from because it is the story. No one's denying that the things that are written here are not true, but what is written here? You know the story, of course. Uh, David had mentioned that he remembers as a kid how vividly he remembers watching a movie of some sort where Mary and Joseph are trekking through the snow and they come across these men, mean, excuse me, mean innkeepers who t- yell at them and tell them to get out. And then after they settle, Mary gives birth and they laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Well, a few things about this particular story that you might have heard or thought about before. First of all, let's deal with some tradition that deals with their travel. Can I suggest that it is possible that this was no midnight journey against a black sky and a bright star and maybe even the suggestion of it snowing? But more than likely, Joseph and Mary had been there for some time. 
This was not something that was unexpected that she was with child, right? This was not some miracle that all of a sudden her belly grew, almost like we think about things of Santa Claus, that something just changes in the the blink of an eye. She had been with child. They had known what was coming. They also knew about the census, right? They're in Bethlehem for the counting of the people, the census. And so they had made plans more than likely. Not this trek and oh we better make it on time as some of you might have in your life driven to the hospital hoping not to deliver a baby on the side of the road, you know. No, this was not a a 70 mile journey. No man plans to or takes his about to deliver wife and treks 70 miles just to make it on time. And so I think that the travel is one thing that we sometimes maybe can get confused about. A second tradition maybe deals with where they stayed. In Luke chapter 2, in verse number 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Excuse me, I'm down further. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the word that's here for in, I'll I'll spell this one for you, but it's K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A, Katalama, maybe one of the best pronunciations I can give you. That's the word that's used here for in. And I know that you know the context here in Luke chapter 2, right? But do you remember another place where this word is used? And that's found in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. Do you remember the context there? In that case, you already know it's it's chapter 22, so it's towards the end of Jesus' life. But in that particular context, Jesus takes some of his disciples and he sends them to secure or to make sure they can get into the katalama, the upper room, for the Last Supper. In Luke 22, he sends them to a similar place by the same word, to secure this location for the Last Supper. These men are going, going where they're going, are to say, as Jesus says there in Luke 22, where is the katalama, the inn, or the upper room? Maybe a better way to translate it would be the guest room. They were going to go and say, where is the guest room? Not where is the hotel, or where is the inn for me to stay, but where is the guest room? Now, there's one more word that we want to think about, and it's a different word that's used in Luke chapter 10. And this is Luke writing all of this, by the way. This is not some change in authors. But in Luke chapter chapter 10, where Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, in Luke chapter 10 in verse 34, do you remember that the Good Samaritan takes the beaten man to a pondahion? That's the word that's used there. You may see in in your Bible and in. Now, this man, this good Samaritan, did not bring the beaten man to his guest room, to his house, but he took him to an inn, to a hotel, to a place where strangers might be. It's not the same word. So it's more than likely that that people are looking at this. And I told you a moment ago to keep it in your memory, but this may be the spot where we have to remove our 21st century glasses or lenses because what's the phrase that we hear? What's the phrase that we hear here from Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7? I know you can say it. There was no room in the inn. So what we picture are our modern day motels or hotels, I think, and we imagine down a long corridor of rooms. 
I found a fact that I couldn't actually verify, but it came to my mind, and I had to look it up, that said that there are over 14,000 14, lodging units, whatever that means, 14,000 lodging units in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. 14,000, all right? And I'm thinking, in our mind, that's what we think of, is a motel or a hotel with a long row of rooms. There was no room in the inn. So we hear no room in the inn, and we think that every place that they passed had a no vacancy sign that was glowing up right as they walked by it. But instead, maybe the better way to read it is from the text that literally means here at the end of verse number 7, there was not enough space. There is not enough room or space in whatever space they were in. And more than likely, the word that is used for in, or more, more likely the word that is used for in here, is better meant to be guest house or guest room. So there was no room in the guest room. Which leads us to another misconception here, that Mary and Joseph had to stay in a barn or a stable with animals. Now the, the typical scene, the scene that we typically think of when we think of a nativity scene, is one that, that probably never happened. Look at Luke 2, verse 7 again, if you have your Bible open there. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That's what it says. Period. That's all it says. Everything else you see in an activity scene or a painting or whatever it might be is added. The, the hay and the animals, possibly, the snow, the little drummer boy, the wooden barn or the wooden manger, all of that is added because it's not there. Verse 7 is what we have about what took place. So here is Joseph not trying to find a place at a hotel, but it seems as if there is no room in the guest room. Now, there's a very interesting book, and I didn't have a chance to get a copy and read it for myself, but looking at some, some folks who have talked about it before, by a man named Kenneth Bailey. And it's entitled, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Kenneth Bailey, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And in this book, he gives a possible floor plan for a typical home during this time. Most of the homes had one main room, a family room, where most activity would take place. All of you teenagers and people that like your privacy, right? You go in your room and you shut your door and you can ignore your family. That wasn't the way it worked, right? One main room where all the activities would sort of happen. In fact, what's interesting to consider is in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15, you know the verse, when Jesus talks about letting your light so shine, do you remember what he says there exactly? It's possible that what Jesus meant when he talked about letting your light so shine, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light, where? To all who are in the house. So this is possibly what Jesus was referring to or meant when he said that we should let our light shine so that all in the house could see it. How could everyone in the house see the light? Except for that they're all basically probably gathered in one main room most of the time. And so then this makes perfect sense as Jesus says, that, says this here in Matthew 5 verse 15. Now, on the other hand, 
or on the other end of the house, what, the way these floor plans usually laid out was one main room, and then often there was a wall and a separate entrance, but that came into the katalama, the guest room. On the other end of the house was the guest room, and this is where they could show hospitality to strangers. I don't know if you know much about the Jewish culture or these people, but they wanted to show hospitality to people who would come by. So as strangers came by, this is where they could house them, in this guest room or family. What were Joseph and Mary doing in Bethlehem? We've already mentioned it. They were there for a census. And where is Joseph's family from? He was returning to them for this census, for this counting. So you mean to tell me that they can't find a place in the town where they are from, so they have to go to a hotel? More than likely, no, that's not the case at all. They would go to the guest room of their family. Maybe now, as we think about the story, maybe they got moved out because more family came in. Or even the elderly part of the family came in and they were going to be in the guest room. Or maybe they came, they did come a little bit later and there was family already in the guest room. And so they had to then go to another part of the house. Many of these houses also had, besides those two rooms, a lower level, maybe accessible by some steps right there where the animals could come in. But they could be brought in at night. And these family places often had stone depressions, if you will, that were cut out, maybe, for the, for the animals to eat a manger. Instead of a barn and a wooden mobile manger, maybe Jesus was born and laid as a part of the house there in this stone depression where the animals could come in at night and then would have a place to eat. When he was born, there was no place to put him, so they put him in this stone depression or this manger. Isn't it interesting? Jesus more than likely wasn't born in a cave or in a stable or a barn of some sort in the middle of nowhere. And often we also put into this story a poor setting, right? That maybe they didn't have enough and and Jesus came from this lowly, humble, poor setting. But more than likely, they were at their home. Maybe not their home, but their ancestral home. And maybe there were so many people gathered in the house They had no place to lay lay him, so they laid him in the manger. The thing that we are saying this morning is that instead of just believing tradition, we need to always go back to Scripture. Scripture is the answer. And what I'm hopefully pointing out to you this morning, and for us, for our thinking, is that we can get caught up in a lot of things during this season of the year, and many of them are simply not true. The birth of Jesus is a great thing. See, we can sometimes decide that by what the Bible teaches, we're not going to practice the same things that everyone else in the world chooses to practice. And so then what sometimes happens is we're painted on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, right? We do that a lot in our country. Republicans, Democrats, sports teams, whatever it might be. When it comes to any issue, you're either for it or against it, and you're on the opposite sides, and then you've just got to simply fight about it. Well, maybe one thing that happens is we say, we're not going to practice these things the way the world does. And so then they say, well, you don't believe that Jesus was born, or you don't like the fact about that, or you don't want to talk about it at all. You see, that's not true because the birth of Jesus is a great thing. Matthew and Luke 
both take time to point out for us some of the details of his birth. And as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself. He did. He went through that. He came from glory and all the things that he could ever want or need or have. And he's not the same as us in that way. But he humbled himself. He did come to this earth in the flesh. And we are thankful that he did. Absolutely thankful that he came and he was born. But here's the point. The reason for the season is not Jesus. The reason for the season is sin. And that's a much darker picture than we usually want to feel this time of year or than people want to talk about. The reason for the season is not Jesus. The reason for the season is sin. It is because of my sin that he had to come to this earth. It is because of your sin that he had to come to this earth. And we are glad that he came. And we are thankful for the details that are recorded in the Bible for us to know. But we are not told to celebrate, and certainly not with so many errors that are not found in Scripture as many people choose to participate in. Let us remember that the reason that Jesus came to this earth is much darker, as we might say, much sadder. It is wonderful, and we are joyous and thankful that he came, and that the prophecies that are found in the Bible are fulfilled. But you've heard me say it before, that we are thankful that he died, that he hung on that cross. But if he didn't rise again, then we are still without hope. It's the resurrection that gives us that hope. So let's just keep going backwards. We are thankful that he came, but if he came and he didn't give his life, and if he didn't give his life and he didn't rise again, then the coming is worthless. In a sense, we're thankful he did because here's the deal. His humanity brings humanity hope, and we are thankful for that. But we could also say it this way. The Christmas story is only important because of the Calvary story. That's what we should think about and celebrate and remember. It is his death that gives us reason to celebrate. It is his death that makes me whole. It is his death that he left instructions on how to remember and celebrate, even as we have already done in our services this, services this morning. That is what we are truly thankful for, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because with those things in mind, we are able to have that hope. Yes, it also involved his coming and his coming in the form of a human, him humbling himself. We should be thankful for that. We should celebrate that. Don asked me about what songs we could or should sing this morning. He and I have been talking for a while about how we need to be sure that we emphasize during the year the birth of Jesus, because we are thankful for that. We don't need to ignore it, or again, on the two extremes, act like it's something that's unimportant. It is, but we're also told what to celebrate and how to celebrate it, and we also understand, again, that the reason for his coming is our sin, and what is truly important to celebrate is the Calvary story. May I invite you this morning, if you would, to go ahead and, and put your Bible and notes down if you want to. If you want to get your psalm books out, if you're using a psalm book, that's fine if you want to use one. But I'd like for you to hear the last few things here for sure as we begin to conclude this lesson. The point of this lesson is not the following, all right? I want you to hear me clearly. The point of the lesson is not the following. That you have to go 
And everywhere you go, all the nativity scenes that you see, you should knock them over and tear them down, all right? That's not the point this morning. The point this morning is that you, that you don't have to go home and have a ceremonial burning of everything that you have, although it might make you warmer and heat your house up, but let me not suggest that you have to do that either. The point is not that you have to stop every single person that you see and lecture them about how wrong you might think that they are. The point is that we read scripture more carefully, that we don't add to it what is not there, or that we don't read into it with our 21st century glasses on. Why do you believe the things that you do, even about the birth of Jesus, much less other things in scripture? Is it because you just simply heard a preacher say it? Is it because you heard a song on the radio? Or is it because the scriptures actually teach it? And here's the other thing that I'd like to share with you this morning. Christians sometimes say, and I would call them, I think, trying to be fair and honest, well-meaning Christians. But Christians often say around this time of year, I am thankful that people are thinking about Jesus. And I would say absolutely without a doubt, yes, in a sense, we are very thankful that people are thinking about Jesus. But Jesus also calls everyone to action. To not just think about him, because that's not simply enough. Thinking about him is not enough. In fact, we know the scriptures say, even believing in him is not enough. Even the angels, the devil's angels, believe and tremble. We need to think of him, but we need people to commit to him. More than a babe and a manger. That's physically true, as maybe we've already talked about some things, that even then, we don't know with 100% surety that there's stone depression that he was in or, or these things exactly. We simply don't know. You weren't there. I wasn't there. We may not know for sure. We might get a better idea that physically it's more than a babe in a manger. But what about your life? Is it more than a babe in a manger? Are you committed to him this morning? We're about to sing a song in just a moment that says, I know. And as always, we encourage you to sing. We're to sing together to encourage one another. So I hope in just a few moments you plan to sing the words, I know. But the question is, are you just singing them or are you declaring, I know? I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he came to this earth, that he lived the life, that he gave us what we need to know, how to live, how to get to heaven that he did sacrifice his own life, that he, did, that he was buried in the tomb and he did rise again. I know these things and I'm thankful for them. I believe that you are as well. But while we are thankful that people are thinking about him, are we truly committed? We're about to sing this hymn of encouragement that through its words we might encourage you. If you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to him by being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church, we sing to encourage you. Because it is the greatest decision. Because putting up an activity scene or, or singing the songs or thinking about him this one time of year is not enough. Believing in him is not enough. But showing action, not only in submitting yourself through baptism, but also in living a life of service to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that for the first time. We will sing to encourage you. Or maybe you're here and you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've allowed the things of this world to weigh you down. Maybe sin in your life to get between you and God. We know that our sin separates us from him. We sing to encourage you as well. The Bible says how a child of God can confess their sin before him. 
repent of it, and he is faithful and just to forgive. One of our elders will be coming forward here in just a moment as we sing to, to receive you should you want to make any of these things known. Maybe you'd like the prayers of this church to encourage you in this, this life, in the struggles that you face. We're thankful for that chance to, to encourage one another, both in prayer, but also through this song as we stand together and as we sing.